Welcome to Simply Stogies Clear the Air. Uh, I am your host this week, James. Uh, it's a little weird for me to be on this side of Clear the Air, but nonetheless, here I am. Uh, and because neither of these two guys will ask, tell, ask me what I'm smoking, I will tell you what I'm smoking. I am smoking the Tatawahe uh, 10-year Tuxla, uh, which is really, really good so far. Of course, I just lit it up. Uh, and while I'm sitting here touching it up, let me first introduce the hosts of this show uh, that we're going to be talking about. Uh, Nick Cirrus, welcome back to Clear the Air. Thank you, James, the host of Clear the Air uh, <laughs> this, week. this week. Great to be with you. Uh, thanks, Nick. <laughs> what are you smoking, buddy? My usual. I am smoking the Nick Toro. So that's what I'm smoking. And Good cigar. Uh, I'm, Great o- cigar. I'm always smoking that. Great cigar. Uh, and then uh, the co-host for uh, this episode that we're going to be talking about with Pete Johnson of Tatawahe Cigars, uh, uh, my friend, my nemesis, my frenemy. Uh, it, it's Tim. Tim, welcome uh, to Clear the Air. Friend, friend of me? That's new. Frenem- I, I like that. Frenemy. Yeah. Okay. I like You've that. You've never well, heard that? No, I have not. But uh, I'm doing good, James. I feel like I haven't talked to you in such a long time. Uh, and hey, thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview Pete Johnson and just totally crash everything you have worked so hard over the years to create. I, no. I, I can't express my gratitude enough. No, I was telling these guys uh, before we started recording tonight that they did a really good job with this interview. I was very impressed and it makes me happy that I can go away for whatever reason. Uh, whether it's fanboying at Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest or I'm just sick or whatever it is that I can go away and hand the reins over to these two. And they did a great job uh, with Pete. This wasn't Pete's first interview with us. He had been on um, late 2019 uh, and we had him on. uh, I think that interview was about three hours Uh, and I'll tell the story. Um, I was told I had um, 45 minutes for the podcast with him and 45 minutes for what was a cut and light with a cigar group that uh, I was a part of at the time. And we went through, I had an hour and a half full of questions. We went through it and Pete at the end of that hour and a half, Pete, before I could close it out, he goes, Hey, hold on a second. He walked away, which for those of you who listed this last episode, you won't know, but Pete did the same thing here. He got up and walked away. He had to turn the lights on, um, which you'll probably see if you're watching YouTube, but he came back and he had a, he had a bottle of wine, a glass and another cigar. And he goes, keep going. I'm having a good time. And we, I got another hour and a half with him. It was great. It was just great. Pete's one of the, one of the good ones in the industry. Uh, and we're going to talk about that interview. Um, so the first thing I want to do is I want to ask Nick, how could you forget Tim was (laughs) co-hosting? Very, 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 very simply, uh, on simply stogies. It was my first actual role as first chair host, whatever you want to call it. I like first chair. first chair and uh, <laughs> got thrust in it. Now, yes, uh, it wasn't the first time I've done an interview, uh, you know, with smooth draws, which I mentioned regularly, which was my uh, for, you know, getting into this whole, you know, podcast world. There was radio at the time. Um, and when the mic went on, the light went on, I totally forgot about Tim. I wanted to do it all myself. I didn't really want him to be there, but you kind of forced him on me. So I was like, I guess I better introduce him. No, honestly, I totally forgot. I got right into it. And then I said, oh, shit, I'm not following the structure of the way the show is supposed to be. And like five minutes in, I go, oh, wait, wait, we got another oh, guy here. Let <laughs> me, let me Tim. introduce Tim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened was, uh, you know, I was kind of like, all right, I'll just kind of be the, uh, the, the second wheel, you know, I'll just kind of chime in when I can. And then it started and I didn't get introduced. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just sit back and be producer. You can watch. And then, then after a little bit, Pete's like, I really love these one-on-one interviews. And Nick goes, Oh yeah. Uh, I was like, okay, now I'm playing. Did he say that? Did he actually say that? He actually said that. Okay. He prompted, he, like, that's, that's, what, how, like, that's what got me all of a sudden. Really, like, that's what know. got you. Cause you're like, I really like these one-on-one interviews. You went, Oh wait, I totally forgot. Like, hold on, Pete. It's not a one-on-one. Sorry. <laughs> it's not. 
Yeah, no, that was. Uh, I know you wanted to be a one-on-one, but we're gonna have to do Tim. Sorry, there's this other guy here. He, I was like, this just got easy for me. He won a contest. He won a contest, Pete. Sorry. <laughs> we let him guest star. Let's do a little therapy here on uh, Clear the Air, Tim. How did that make you feel? I I, I thought it was funny. I really it's did. Uh, I mean, it I was, was a little upset at, for a second, for a split second. I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to sit here for an hour and a half. Whatever. Totally unintentional. Yeah, okay. No, no. It's all right, it Nick. It's all right. I, I, I try to forget about Tim on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I try to forget about Tim. So one of the first things that struck me about this interview, obviously, is the rapport that you have with Nick or with uh, Pete, Nick. And like for, for those who don't know or maybe didn't catch it in the episode – You've known Pete for a long time. Yeah. Before I was actually in the industry, uh, we were friends uh, or very friendly. And I remember one time, you know, because I lived in Florida for 22 years um, and we had met and talked about Cuba. And and then I said, I got to go buy some of his cigars. I was down in Calle Ocho and I went into what was at the time Pepin's very narrow, small little, um, you know, retail space. And I went in there and I said, look, I'd like to buy some Tatawahe. And he said, the guy there said, no, no, we don't sell Tatawahe here. We just make it. I go, I can't buy. You got stacks of me. He goes, no, no, you can't buy anything. So, you know, I had to pull some clout there and I called Pete on the phone. I go, Pete, can I buy some of your cigars? And he said, yeah. So thankfully, you know, I gave the phone over to the guy and he was gracious enough to sell me a bunch of uh, Pete sticks. And, you know, I started smoking them. So that was kind of cool. Um and then we became friends and we continued to talk and uh, we would meet up. It seemed like a lot more back then. And I, I saw him in Germany. We hung out and we got to socialize and the different things. And Pete's just as he comes across in the interview, a uh, real down to earth guy. You know, he is literally one of the most. And I don't think I'm being you know, he's really pretty famous in this industry when it comes to, you know, you got the Carlitos and and the, you know, the Pepins and, and uh, the Padrones. Pete's right up there. I mean, listen, we mentioned it on the show, but he literally put Pepin on the map. You know, now he's part of the family, which is very fitting. But he is the one who discovered and for all intents purposes, um, you know, Pepin's history was, you know, Cuba left, went to Nicaragua. Uh, somehow was able to get to Miami, was given a shop to start creating his own cigars with a partner. And that's how he started. And then Pete on one of his vacation, because, you know, he also lives the lifestyle. He's not just doing this as a business. I mean, we all are, you know, about the business because it's our hobby. And Pete walked in, smoked some of this guy's cigar and said, holy shit, these are great. These are like Cuban stuff. And Pete's palate initially, I mean, I don't, I doubt it's much that way. I know he still loves Cuban cigars, but he wanted to create something that was reminiscent, something that was paying homage to the Cuban style in Pepin with coming right from Cuba. You don't get any closer to that uh, right off the bat. And so, and even he mentioned in the uh, interview at first he was producing stuff for him and he said, nah, I don't like this. You got to come up something there. He goes, what do you want me to make? And he he gave him a Cuban cigar and he said, look, I want you to make something like this. And Pippin said, yeah, that's easy. So uh, he started making some cigars. He was working, managing uh, at the Havana, uh, you know, the uh, room in uh, Beverly Hills. And I guess he was selling them there as well to clients and, uh, you know, people there. And that's how he started in the business. And it took off from there. And and we're talking, you know, many, many years ago, you know, 20 years ago, in fact. And uh, he hasn't looked back. He loves what he does. He makes a lot of cigars. He makes a limited amount every year. He sells everything out. He does all his specials. And he is one of the most successful people in this business. And honestly, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. He is really one of the best people in this industry. And he has, as we also mentioned, you know, in the show, He's been so instrumental and been an ambassador, not only for the industry, but has helped along every which way he can on the legal side of things, on the promotion of things. He gives uh, selfishness of himself and his time and his talents. And uh, I applaud him for everything he's done for this industry. Yeah. And he, will continue. Yeah. 
Pete's one of the goats, man. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. When you said, hey, Tim, can you jump in and, and co-host or help out? And I'm like, oh, you're you're going to you're going to put this on me. Pete Johnson. Well, one of the greatest, in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah, no, he is 100 percent. And, and, and you even made um, you alluded to, Nick, you know, there are only a few people in this industry that kind of have his uh, gravitas. Uh, Rocky, Rocky Patel, Carlito. Um, there are very few uh, who I would consider in the uh, elite, you know, uh, Padron. Um, Tatawahe's right up there. And I, I really, when he, when he, one of the first things that he said that really grabbed my attention, and I was like, God damn it, I wish I was there, was when he said what did he, he, that the business has changed since he first started when he first got into it and the business has changed. Absolutely. And Nick, I think you're, you're a good person to talk to about that. Um, because you have been in the, in, in the industry and in the business for a while now. And Pete's obviously been in it. He's celebrating 20 years. We talked uh, you guys talked about his uh, new cigar that's coming out later this year, the, the 20th anniversary. And he's been smoking cigars for, for 30 in the industry, like uh, at a shop and whatnot. But, Talk about how the business has changed, Nick. Um, not just for you, but for Pete as well. Since since uh, you know he he's been in it. Well, you know, before I was in the industry, I was about as into cigars as you possibly can be, and I had a successful career prior to the cigar business. Love cigars; it was my hobby, um, but I never really thought. You know, I, I guess it was kind of something I always wanted to do, but it just timing is everything. And so I was around the industry, around a lot of the players. That's why I've known, you know, people like Carlito and uh, a lot of these guys from the early 90s during what they call the the cigar boom, I guess the original cigar boom. And I, I was privileged to meet a very famous, uh, one of the best blenders in the industry by the name of... Um, all of a sudden I can't know. Uh, he, uh, Rolando Reyes senior, and he literally never got the, the attention I believe and, and the, the kudos that he really deserved. He is literally was one of the best blenders out there in the early, early days. If he was around today, you know, he would have been like a superstar, but you know, he was very, very old school Cuban and I got to meet him in New Jersey because I lived, I grew up in New Jersey and I lived there and I, I met him in Union City in this small, very unassuming little shop uh, in a very Cubanesque uh, area of, uh, I think the whole neighborhood was, was Cuban and uh, started smoking his cigars, met his son, Rolando Reyes Jr.'s, uh, Jr., who was just a few years older than myself, maybe I think five, six years older. And honestly, we became friends and he started taking me around. Uh, I went to the first uh, Big Smoke as his guest. So I got to be like an insider before I was an insider. And um, the industry was totally different. Back then, everybody was producing anything they could and everything was selling. Everything. You could put out the the, the most garbage stuff you could imagine and it would sell. Uh, and there was a lot of stuff. But what happens uh, inevitably is that good stuff stays and bad stuff goes by the wayside or people without the right intention. You know, a lot of people maybe saw it as a money grab and there was a lot of brands, but what happened to all those brands when the boom kind of ended. And again, the boom was created in my opinion, uh, because of cigar fish and auto magazine, a lot of people can, can say what they will about the magazine and, you know, that it's oh, not really? really a cigar uh, magazine and this and that. It's a lifestyle magazine, but it got so many people interested in cigars, including myself. Uh, I'll be the first to admit it. You know, I was into cigars, and when I picked up that first issue, the inaugural issue of Cigar Aficionado, it just solidified my desire to be a part of that in so many ways. And uh, it really just helped I realizing, you know, it's like being an addict in something and realizing there's other people like you out there like, holy shit, there's people that really enjoy this stuff like I do. And, uh, you know, Pete was around in the early days and um, he was really, you know, the in my opinion, the godfather of the boutique industry, you know, in so many ways, because he was a smaller a brand, much smaller than he is today, he was producing you know, in his heyday back then, maybe a million sticks, you know, and um, 
they were extre- doing extremely well. And then the rest of the stuff that was out there, uh, either Lou Rothman of JR Tobacco bought all the stuff that was out there, pennies on the dollar. And there was a lot of an abundance of overstock of a lot of stuff that was, and that I think is what gave way to a lot of the online, well, back then was mail order with JRs and, uh, you know, famous and uh, Thompson and all those guys. And that's what kind of laid, you know, the the groundwork for a lot of this online stuff back then. But uh, the brick and mortars started getting more and more into it instead of the the standard, what I would call the staple brands, you know, the Romeo and Juliet's of the world and started buying these boutique brands and people were, were interested. But it really, the second boom happened, I think, because of the internet, you know, and because also, cigar manufacturing went to a whole new level. I mean, back then, you know, there was a lot of great cigars being made, but the majority of them were not so good because it was the early days of Nicaragua. And I think people weren't understanding what they had there. Uh, I mean, there were the staples, they were the the standards like the Padrones and, and the Fuentes that, you know, were there from the beginning of the boom and prior, of course. Um, and then that happened. And then when you started getting into more of the boutique era, and other cigars totally changed the landscape of cigars as we know it, especially in this country. And uh, yeah, it's changed a lot. You know, with Pete, he makes a limited amount. He's comfortable with what he makes. I think he said he's up to about three, three and a half million sticks. And that's it. He's not trying to produce more. Could he sell five million sticks? I believe he could. I think he could sell even more. But he's comfortable at what he's doing and how he's doing and he's making a comfortable living and he's really enjoying what he's doing without the pressures, uh, that, that are there, but you know, he's, he's obviously proven to be a great businessman as well. And, uh, a real true, you know, cigar guy. And so the business has changed and Pete's evolved with it. And he, because of his early role in this industry has taken, you know, the, you know, the, the Papa, the Papa bear role for a lot of the other guys coming in, all wanting to be like Pete. And there was a lot of, I don't want to call him copycat, but there was a lot more people that came in the industry that were just different. In the early days, if you weren't not, not only Latin, but you had to be pretty much Cuban. If you weren't of Cuban descent and made cigars, you were not considered a real cigar maker and nobody took you seriously. That of course has changed because you have people from all walks of life that have proven that they can not only make great cigars have great palates and produce great stuff out there. But back then it was like a very, very closed industry. The guy that broke the mold, of course, we have to give credit to is Rocky Patel. I mean, who would have thought that a a person of Indian descent, you know, they, they really shunned him in the beginning and he didn't get any respect, but now, yeah, you know, the guy makes a hell of a lot of cigars and some great stuff out there. And he's also been uh, very influential and part and gives, I mean, the band, you know, Pete also, but I mean, Rocky Patel, I mean, there was days, 300 days a year, he's on the road and, and yep. Pete, same thing. I mean, Pete, you know, wanted to be a rock star and he was, and was in a band and we talked about all that on, on the podcast. But I remember one of the events that I met him at, he came with an actual tour bus, I mean, it was like one of these rock band tour bus and I felt bad because I just, you know, I showed up. I didn't even know he was going to be there. And there was a line and there was like hundreds and hundreds of people there looking to to, uh, you know, get his autograph and give. And he stopped everything he was doing. And he's like, oh, Nick, come on over, t- check out my uh, check out my uh, my my stuff. And we went on to the bus and he showed me all the stuff. And I'm like, Pete, Pete, go back to your people. You got people. And, ah, you know, we'll get back to those guys. And, you know, it was very, again, gave of his time and uh, it really proved, you know, that he really was uh, a friend uh, from from the early, early days. And uh, he's had a great career and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the industry. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. I, I, I mean, I know at the PCA, Tim was telling me that, uh, you know, you guys went to his booth and his booth's always busy, right? And he said it's a simplistic booth, but, he, you know, they just, they do what they, they got the new stuff there and that's kind of all they have. And uh, <laughs> Tim was like, yeah, no, he was like, hey guys, come around here. Like, come, come come back around here and we'll, we could talk and. Um, so yeah, very giving, uh, of the time, but you brought up, you brought up cigar aficionado and I wasn't going to bring it up. It's nowhere on my notes. Cause I just wanted to kind of stay away from that. Cause I have famously said on this episode, on, on this show, not this show, but the regular show before Nick was around. So I can say it again. 
<clears throat> is that I feel that uh, cigar aficionado, while they have played a huge role in this industry, uh, especially at the beginning uh, of the boom in the 90s, uh, they have changed as well. And you guys kind of touched on it a little bit where, you know, <clears throat> it's to me, it's more of a lifestyle magazine than it is a cigar magazine anymore. They, they, they put umbrellas, uh, you know, uh, in their magazine, like, hey, guys, check out this $300 umbrella that you could own. Or, you know, or like you said, the 200,000 million, now it's million dollar cars. Like, and, and people get to see that, how like the other side kind of lives, but it's also pay to play in my opinion, on uh, everything I've heard from insiders of the industry uh, that to get on that top 25 list that that is so coveted for some reason uh, that it's it's pay to play to do that. Um, but nobody, I mean, it, it, I don't know, like, but he had nothing but glowing remarks about Marvin and what he's done. And, 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 and so did you. And, and, and rightfully so. I, you've got to give credit where credit is due uh and, and cigar aficionado has certainly changed the game early on i'm just not sure how much of a player they are anymore tim do you have thoughts on that and then we'll get back to nick i'm sure nick has uh he wants to refute and rebut everything i've just said well i mean i agree that cigar aficionado is a lifestyle magazine i think cigars is a lifestyle um there are articles in there that i like to read, but three quarter of it is advertising for the big guys, stuff that I can't even try to get a hold of. I mean, that uh, the last one was that $250,000 dragon jewel studded lighter. I was like, oh, I want that so much. Not gonna happen, not in my life, but I, I still like the magazine. And, and Marvin, I mean, you gotta give him credit and he's expanded so much, but yeah, I agree. There probably is a lot of pay to play. Sure, there is. But the reason why I will always, you know, never say uh, it, it was my entry into this industry, like like so many people. And, sure. you know, the same way initially, I, I'm not a fan. I've never have been a fan. And I make it pretty clear I don't care for infused or flavored cigars. Not my thing. But the respect level that I have given Drew Estates, you know, I remember one of the little quick story was, was down in Nicaragua and they basically pick, it was during one of these festivals and they pick the factories that you're going to go to because there's so many people. And one of the two or three factories, one of them for me was Drew Estates. And I'm like, ah, of all the factories, I really, uh, I didn't want to go there because the only thing I knew of Drew Estate at the time, you know, was the acid. And that's their moneymaker and they make no bones about it. And I went there and I, this was the first time I met Nick Melillo, who was just at the time, a very young man that was working the floor and responsible for, you know, the, the floor of the factory. And what I learned from that day, I took back and to not only in my brain, but was able to incorporate a lot of those things that they do. I mean, the stuff that they were doing so innovative that, they were literally checking everybody's things uh, so carefully that like they could, they were plotting like Monday morning, there was more problems or, you know, more defects on Monday mornings and Friday afternoons and they could see the productivity level. And I was just like, wow, that's genius. That's just using every tool at your disposal. And so I left that factory with so much respect um, that I always will remember that experience. Now, I went on a whole side note, you know, talking about cigar aficionados. So, yeah, is it pay for play? Is there a lot of brands that don't get the coverage that they really should get? Uh, they're trying to change that now. But for many years, you know, if you weren't, you know, literally sold in Manhattan, they could pick you up at the local shop literally down, you know, from their building, you are not going to be reviewed. And then I've heard horror stories about other people that were reviewed and were not given the right um, review, so to speak. And they proven that it was bullshit and the blind test. And there's a lot of speculation, rumors and conspiracy theories that there is in everything in the world. But, you know, Cigar Aficionado, even today, has a place in this industry. Um, 
most of the real cigar people are social media savvy and they're on the internet and they get the reviews and the podcasts and all the other wonderful avenues that you can get information from. But back in the early days, it was so innovative and so different to have a magazine that was dedicated to cigars. One of the guys that, you know, Marvin, yes, it was his company. You know, he had Wine Spectator, but there was a guy that I would be remiss if I didn't mention James Suckling. James Suckling was really the the original guy that started Cigar Aficionado with, you know, I think he was tasked with that first one. I think he's the one who pitched the idea. If, if James told me, I, I got to be friendly with James in the early years and I would see him in Cuba often. And he's gone off completely now with his wine. And that's, and he's a big shot when it comes to wine and how he reviews and his name is synonymous with wine, but just as much so with cigars, that man knows cigars. He's one of the original cigar reviewers before there were reviewers. And uh, he really started the trend. I give him a lot of the credit for creating the cigar boom. And what has happened today is because of James Suckling and Cigar Aficionado. So where everything else you said is not incorrect, I still think there's a place for them. It gets to a lot of people that, of course, there, there's a lot of people out there, believe it or not, that don't ever go on social media or don't go on the internet. And a lot of them are just golf smokers. But you know what? They all buy Cigar Aficionado magazine. And I don't have a problem with looking at $200,000 lighters and million-dollar cars you know, because everybody needs goals in life and you could say, oh, I'll never get that. But maybe, maybe you want to, maybe there are people that that's what they aspire <laughs> to. And it helps. My wife would kill me. She would literally it's, kill me. <laughs> look, Tim, they're, they're, they're dreams for some people, they're goals for other people. Yeah. There's something that maybe you say, I never want to be a part of that. And you make a conscious decision to not want any of those things, but there are a lot of people that do. And what a cigar represents to most people, uh, taking away the, the core group of real cigar smokers is it represents affluence and the finer things in life. And I've said, Maybe you can't go out and buy yourself a million dollar sports car or a $10 million home or a $200,000 lighter, but you can smoke the same cigar that people that can afford those things. And maybe in percentage wise of your income, it's a lot more than those, but it's still attainable. Back then it wasn't a hundred dollars a cigar, but even today, a hundred dollars is a lot of money for a cigar. But you know, if you had to splurge and give up something to buy that cigar to, to taste and and smoke a cigar that the billionaire is smoking on his yacht, you can smoke the same cigar. You may not be able to buy that yacht today. Maybe in the future you will, if that's what you want, but you can smoke today that cigar. So is it a lifestyle magazine? Yes. Is it a bad thing? Not in my opinion. I think, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, <clears throat> Pete also talked about European pricing and the Cuban market. And you guys talked about that a little bit, but that also kind of led him into talking about he wants to make old world cigars, not new world cigars. And when I think of Tatawahe, <clears throat> I think of new world cigars. So maybe I'm just uneducated, Nick, <clears throat> and you would probably be the guy to talk about. But so I'm, I'm smoking this Bonchisur, <clears throat> the, uh, the Bonchisur from uh, Tatawahe, the Tuxla. Which that's a good stick. It is a good cigar. I just, uh, I, I got these, uh, while I was gone uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just lit it up. It's really good so far, but I don't, it doesn't remind me of anything Cuban. It's not Cuban-esque as people like to say, like, am I wrong in thinking that Nick? No. Uh, when he says he, he makes old school cigars, it doesn't mean the flavor profiles anymore. I mean, he loves Cuban cigars, but you know, you don't have to make, there's other people that said the same thing. Like, look, I, I crack up when I make cigars for other people and they go, Oh, well, can you make a cigar like this? And I go, no, because there is a cigar like that. You know, why would you want to make something that's, you know, the same, we can make something along the same profile, you know, the, try to get to the same notes, but we're not duplicating cigars here. At least I won't do that. And, and Pete's the same way. Pete has his own style, his own blends, but he pays homage to the way cigars were made in old school ways, using the traditions. 
and all the good stuff about where the history and origins of cigars started with, which happens to be Cuba that people may not like to say, but that's where it came from. Which is why he was he he was so um, instrumental. And then, you know, he said he didn't want to be in front of the camera. He prefers to be behind the camera. But Tim, you brought up uh, hand rolled and he was he became the executive producer and they had to use a lot of his interviews just because what he said led into other things that other people didn't say didn't they didn't have a good segue other than his footage. Um, you know, and that really goes to he's super knowledgeable about the everything that has to do with with the cigar, with the cigar industry, with the history of the cigar. And like you said, Nick, he pays homage to it. Uh, And and he gets it. He gets it. That's the main difference. I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, are all those things. But Pete knows how to steer the boat the right way. He saw these two guys that I've got to meet early on while they were doing the movie as well. And he saw that this is could be a very good thing for the industry. And he wanted to be a part of it. And he not only gave of himself, of his financial uh, backing, to make this movie. And, and, and I thought it was a well done movie and they tried, you know, to, to produce something that was of high quality, which I think they succeeded and uh, got the, uh, the piece out there. And, and Pete was not only the executive producer by sheer funding a lot of it, but he, uh, you know, he was involved so much in that movie and, and, and rightfully he should have been. Yeah. And it's, it's spawned a, a whole series now that they're coming out with it that, that you guys talked about. But Tim, like you have always been a huge proponent of that movie. You have always been advocating for people to watch it. <clears throat> Ever since I've known you, you were like, hey, this movie's coming out. It's going to be great. And it came out and you're like, oh, my God, it's the greatest movie ever. <laughs> like, you know, so is that why you brought it up? Or was it just the comment where he's like, I don't want to be in front of the camera? Well, kind of a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, um, you know, where I really wanted to go with that is how that movie's been out for a little bit now. And there are people who have not seen it. And I remember at one point when I was a CRA ambassador, um, that subject came up in so many of the meetings that they did have of, Hey, how can we get a hold of this? Can we do events uh, at our brick and mortars and show this movie? And it just seemed like there was a whole lot of politics behind this movie that made it kind of hard for a lot of people to see. Now you can go on YouTube and watch it for free. Um, but it, it is a great movie. It reminds me a little bit uh, back in the day, long, long time ago, like uh, probably closer to 2008, 2009, and I could be completely off, uh, CAO did a short 30 minute film called uh, from, I think it was from seed to soul or something like that. And I was like, that's really interesting and it's cool. And then this movie expanded and went so much more into detail. And if you're into cigars, it's a movie that you have to see. Well, there, there was a lot of those movies that came out. Rocky produced a DVD, a short DVD about it. Um, you know, the um, Davidoff uh, family. Uh, I did, I did see the Davidoff one, yeah. You know, um, and, and one that nobody talks about and I thought was great. I bought it initially. I mentioned James Suckling. Well, he did a movie in about, I think it was like 09, 10, called The Heart and Soul of Cuba or Cigars, Heart and Soul. And it was based in Cuba and uh, it was well done. You know, it was James narrating and being the the main guy in it and he went to the farms in Cuba and he went to the factories and um, it was a great you know for me being there right while it was happening it was a great movie and he produced a DVD I bought the DVD and then that's also I I don't know if it's still free but it used to be free available on YouTube same way that um, you know the other the hand rolled movie was uh, I bought it on Apple or something initially and now that's free the the um, the hand rolled movie because of the timing of it and what they wanted to get to was it was at the same time when the deeming rule and the and the regulations were changing and and everybody was shitting in their pants uh, in the industry. Uh, the funny thing is, I never really worried about it. Now, I don't know. It's easy to say it on the other side of it. Right. But I was like, look, you know what, whatever the 
you know, when everything falls, wherever it be, I'll be involved in this industry one way or the other. I, I wasn't going to spend the ridiculous amounts of money. I didn't think I was, but it just didn't make logical sense, you know, as a, as a producer, like, what are they going after? Like, this doesn't make sense. This is a natural product. And that's the core of the whole, you know, the defense, you know, and it took that. And of course, millions of dollars to make your point, like everything does in politics, but it just made no sense. So was I surprised that we won? I was very happy we won. I didn't think, I just figured the government wasn't going to let go, but what they got, and, and that's why it took so many years was, they got their money. They got their user fees. And I think that's what they were ultimately going for. And there was a lot of brands that were coming out when the rule came out that no other cigar was supposed to be released after 2016 until the deeming rule was set in place and everything was supposed to go back to 2007. So if you didn't have a predicate brand, you know, you were screwed and people were scrambling, trying to buy older brands and all these other things. But 2016, I kept saying, why are all these other cigar brands coming out? I was happy that I was around before that. And I'm like, well, at least, you know, maybe they'll make 2016 the date. But I remember having an interview on the show and I just not to embarrass him. He came on and he had just come out with this new cigar. And I asked him on the air, you know, about the, you know, the deeming rule and how are you producing these, these cigars? And he looked at me, he had no idea what I was talking about. And I go, oh boy, he's still in the business today, you know, but uh, I was like, oh shit, you know, that was maybe I shouldn't even have touched that. But people were hedging their bets back then. Companies like Davidoff, they were producing all these limited edition years before that and shipping X amount to each store. And a lot of brands were doing that because they were all anticipating, you know, that you can't do limited editions, you can't do special stuff. So they were producing these, shipping them so they could say, hey, these were produced and made back then, even though the date is this. And, you know, so everybody was trying to figure out what was going to happen with the industry and hedge their bets. And that movie really put a, a real spotlight on what was happening. Do most people really care that aren't cigar smokers? No, you know, but cigar smokers sure as hell cared. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad the way things uh, turned out so far. And, you know, we're not done uh, they're going to be continuing to go after us, you know, in, in a lot of ways, but at least we had one victory that we can kind of rest our laurels on for a little bit, at least. Hold on lob. Yeah. <laughs> Come and take them. <clears throat> um, yeah. It was interesting to me that, that Pete got, um, cause he is so, like you said, like, and I think you said Coop calls him a statesman, right? Uh, because he really is. He, 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 he and Rocky Patel, are, are the faces of this industry. Carlito's a face of the industry. Rocky's a face and Pete's a face. Uh, and in Pete's face is uh, firmly plastered for lack of a, a, a better word of the same place that Rocky's is, which is the CRA. Right. And uh, Tim, you, you brought it up <laughs> and thank you so much for stepping into my shoes. Yeah. Uh, They're really yeah, hard to fill. Yeah, they, they, they really are. Um, but, you voiced my frustration with the CRA uh, and you voiced your frustration with the CRA, uh, but you didn't ask about the transparency of where money spent, but more of look, your communication sucks. Why does it suck? You know, and he said that at first it wanted to be kind of the NRA for cigars and now it's not, it's more manufacturer driven because the PCA is retail driven and that's all well and good. But I still feel like after the con listening to the conversation that that's not going to change because consumers, even cigar smokers, and Nick, you just said they cared. I'm not sure cigar smokers really care, at least not as much as we kind of wish they did. Tim, like talk about that conversation that you had <clears throat> with, with Pete about that because he agreed with you on, on, on a lot of the points. And which kind of surprised me that he that he did. But um, do you think that that based on your conversation, you'll see any movement where consumers will have more of an advocacy group with the CRA other than just, hey, we're coming out with a sampler every year? Well, OK, so first, yes, I was actually shocked when he was like, yep, I 100 percent agree. And I don't know if that's the exact term he used or not. I don't remember. But. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, shit, you understand what my frustration was. Uh, but the CRA has never been sold 
to the consumer the way that it needs to be sold to the consumer. I mean, the cigar sampler pack for, I don't know how much that is, 120 bucks or whatever. I don't care. Like I, you know, uh, what do you get when you sign up for a five-year membership? That CRA sampler. What do you get when you sign up for a three-year membership? Oh, two or three of the cigars of the CRA sampler. It, it, they, they basically utilize that sampler as the selling point for joining the CRA instead of, you know, it's more, Hey, you join this, this group, this cause, we're just going to give you a couple free cigars. And, well, and I, I don't <clears throat> think that it, it's really sold to the consumer what they're doing. I, I would agree with that because when you join the NRA, and Tim, you're a gun guy. I'm a gun guy. Although I lost all my guns I am as in, a, well. in, in a boating accident, if you're listening, um, ATF. Uh, yeah, I, I re- <laughs> all mine identify as DeWalt. They're now wireless power tools. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when we, when we talk about um, the NRA, they don't give away guns or ammo when you sign up. So why is this... I think it's it, it's a bad sales pitch on the part of the CRA to give away to give away cigars instead of really explaining to the consumer what they're doing by supporting the CRA. And you know what? You can have raffles just like the NRA does. Like, hey, we're we're fundraising. This is how we're fundraising. And you look, I don't. They can still sell the samplers every year. I think that's. I I don't hate that idea to fundraise. Sure but why isn't there a a raffle for an exclusive CRA themed humidor that's got, you know, a bunch of Tatawahe in it or a bunch of, uh, you know, my father or a bunch of, of, of Padron or whoever, a bunch of Rocky Patel that, that these, cause they, you know, he mentioned that they all donate those cigars, something, something like that. But, you know, when you, I remember being an ambassador for the CRA and it was, Hey, there's this event. They want a CRA ambassador there. Go there. Okay, great. Where are my talking points? Oh, you don't have any <laughs> like figure it the fuck out. And there was nothing there to help you other than, yeah, they'll send you some cigars if you sign up, you know, and you get three or four people who are like, Oh, well, free cigars. You know, if I, if I join. Yeah. Okay. But there's, I still don't feel like that's going to change. And, and that begs the question, Nick, I'll ask you this because you're an insider in the industry. Is there a need for uh, the CRA uh, being more of a consumer uh, cigar ad- ad- advocacy group? Jesus, that's a hard word to say. If not the CRA, something similar to what they were trying to be for consumers definitely would be advantageous. The problem has been, as you mentioned, consumers, cigar smokers, they really don't care. I mean, it was very evident when they couldn't even get people to sign for free, you know, these 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 signature lists to, to give to the government saying, look at all these people that are against this. It was difficult. Just these runs of trying to get people to sign up. They weren't doing it. And, you know, everybody was out the manufacturers, the retailers, guys, you need to sign these lists. We need to let them know that we have a, but the reality is we're a small industry to begin with and even smaller that actually takes an active role in it. And that's the bottom line. But could it, the key that you guys mentioned, and I think even Pete, you know, agreed is the communication. If there was a regular newsletter, if there was a regular email, if there was something that you felt you were a part of, on some regular consistency of of a communication of some sort would go a long way. You know, the free stuff is great. You know, the NRA gives you free stuff. Um, CRA should you get like a bag or a hat or something. Sure. Like you get some swag. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I think at one point in time, like the ambassador program, and I'm not sure because Pete didn't say if it still exists or not. Um, I know that I received an email said that they were going to start it back up again, but I haven't heard anything past that. Uh, but (laughs) it's funny, but you know, I guess where, what I'm trying to say is like, they treated everything with so much privacy. Like when I, I asked, I said, Hey, who is within a hundred mile radius or I am the ambassador for my state. Give me all the contacts 
for all the members uh, past and no, but present. I, but you're not an employee. But you're not correct. An so I but so I understand that. But I'm a volunteer I, I volunteering that. my time to call one hundred percent drive. And it's not like you could look. The NRA doesn't go door to door. And what the NRA does is they send like look. My five year membership with the NRA ended last year, and I'm still getting like sure. snail mail shit from the NRA. I get emails all the time, like join back up, do this, do that. Well, I don't know where my money's going there either. So I've got a big problem with the NRA. Uh, if they were more, if the CRA, and I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse, but if the CRA was a little more transparent with where that money was being spent that I'm giving and not just, well, you're getting this sampler. Like, what else do you want? More of where is lobbyists this money cost going? money? Well, sure. Lobbyists cost money. So what lobbyists do you have on staff? And, and how involved are they? I see all the time on social media, the PCA, and even now the BCA is coming around to using social media and being like, Hey, we're in these talks with, with the government. This is where we're at. This is what we're doing. There's none of that with the CRA. And if that's more of a manufacturer thing, that's fine. But I feel like there needs to be a consumer element. But again, like, you know, I said, like Nick said, I'm not sure that consumers really give a shit. And I don't know if that's up to, Cigar media to try to to help change that. If that's up to the manufacturers to try to change that, or if that's up to the retailers. Like, here's the thing: like, the CRA tries to get retailers to join, but the retailers already joined PCA. Why do they need to join both? It doesn't make sense. So why then, if the if they're PCA members, why would they have a CRA ambassador come in and talk to their members? They want their members to spend money at the lounge, not with this organization that may or may not be doing anything to help. So I, I kind of see, I see both sides of it. And I think it is a, a, a difficult conversation uh, to have, but I, I would have, as I'm doing here, I would have belabored that point with, uh, as you're doing here, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, with, with, with Pete. Uh, let's, let's talk about music. Cause Pete is very, uh, into the music scene. Uh, he talked about his band and how they got passed over for, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, which is a, like, if you, like Nick said, if you're going to get passed over for somebody like Scott Weiland's a great guy to get passed over for. Yeah. Uh, that, that was one of the bands in the nineties. I absolutely loved uh, just uh, it's sad that Scott passed and uh, ha- had the issues uh, that he had, but I, Tim, you're a music guy and Nick, I'm finding out that you're a music guy. You've got how many guitars, Nick? Well, I'm a bass player. Uh, and it so doesn't count. Doesn't count. Fuck you, it does too, you fucking fuck. You know, I love my Rickenbacker that I don't play as much as I'd like to, but I look at it every day. It's in my office and I have it on a stand and I just think it's a piece of art and I love it. Yeah, Yeah, it's a piece of art that I have. it. Even when I was in a band, I was the lead singer and not a bass player. But uh, Tim, why didn't you try to dive more into the music? Because I I would be interested to know why Pete has not, like, look, obviously, Tatawahe, the tattoos, I get it, but he's he's obviously big into music. Why is that not more of a inspiration for him when it comes to his cigars? Oh, I imagine that there's got to be some sort of musical inspiration uh, when it comes to his cigars. He just probably doesn't really talk about it. Uh, but I, I did want to talk more about that and ask him more questions because I'm sitting there and I'm looking uh, into the background and I can see the guitars hanging on the wall. And I'm just like, you're so bad. I wanted to be like, hey, hold on, hold on. Will you jump back there, grab one, come back out, just do a little <laughs> jam session? You know, you know? You know what? I, I would have loved that as well, Tim. But, you know, we had an hour show and I was trying yeah, to I be, know, I, know. I was trying to be, you know, cognizant of that fact. I'm not uh, knocking you, Nick. I'm you not, know, not, I'm just, because no, Tim's no, a big music guy. I, like, as Tim, I am too. If we were just hanging out, you know, I would have loved to just, and maybe, you know, the audience, the listeners would have loved more of that too. Um is it an inspiration for his cigars? Yeah, I think it is. You know, the creative element that goes into being a musician uh, can easily, you know, take that that energy and put it into what he's creating with his cigars. Um, but I think of it, I think that he sees it as that was his past life. That's always a part of you, you know, uh, and he he's moved on to the cigar stuff. He's always going to be a musician. He he uh, relates uh, to musicians. Uh, he looks like a musician. He always has. I mean, he's changed his dress a little bit. You know, he's cut his hair. 
He wears he's, less he's, things on his hand. You know, he had all these still different a rock star. You know, he's still a rock star. Yeah, yeah he's a rock star that. for for yeah. cigars now. He's one hundred cigar rock star. But at least he's like, still playing instead of like, just being like, "Hey, this is my new life. I'm gonna just drop that yeah. completely, forget about it." So, I mean, and I was thinking about this too: is that it seems like more and more as of recently, we're seeing that people in the industry have music, whether they're singing, doing karaoke, playing instruments. We're start. I'm starting to notice this a little bit more. Like, there's a theme. Yeah, well, no, for sure. Except for uh, uh, Ricky Rodriguez, he he should not sing ever, <laughs> <laughs> ever. Luciano, 100. Rick, not so much. Uh, but if you're into music, uh, I'm going to do a shameless plug for Tim because I know he won't do it. He runs a podcast called Pandemic Guitar. If you're into music uh, and guitars, go check that out and listen to a different side of Tim. More I mean, mediocre a- content. It's more mediocre, uh, and but he's still a dick, so it's fine. <laughs> um, I want to talk. You asked, you asked Pete Nick, like who he would want to work with, because you talked about you guys talked about the NFT that they're doing the anarchy uh, with uh, Abe from Smoke In, but you asked who he would want to work with, and I was caught off guard with who he said. He said Lido. He would want to work with Lido from LFD, and I was that would have been somebody I would have thought was further down the list. Were you surprised by that too? No, no. I mean, I know his friendship with Lido has been many, many years and he highly respects, you know, what he's done. And, and listen, he's adapted his brand and his cigars over the years. And he just goes where, you know, the, the journey takes him, which is great, you know, and his son is very much involved with that business. And, you know, look, they, they have some of the hottest cigars out there. And again, they're also uh, about, you know, consistency and quality and they're not, you know, they're not trying to produce uh, X amount of sticks. They produce what they can and uh, you're lucky to get what you can. And I think he respects that and he appreciates that. And that's why I think that's the main reason and his friendship, of course. Um, Again, Pepin's his guy, his father-in-law, for God's sakes. You know what I mean? So I know by asking that question, it was kind of like uh, kind of an unfair question, but I'm glad he answered it. And um, I wasn't totally surprised with his selection. It could have been anybody, any of the, uh, you know, the rock stars at his caliber that he would have loved to have uh, done stuff with. And I'm sure he, he could do with many other people, but you know, it was, it was a good, you know, he pulled that out of his, you know, out of thin air. It wasn't like something he thinks about or, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was cool. It was also interesting to hear you two talk about um, his marriage to, to Don Pepin's daughter. Uh, and he even, he alluded at one point, like uh, he was talking about her, but she can't hear cause she's behind glass <laughs> right. feet away. Uh, that's, that's gotta be an interesting position for Pete to be in. No. Well, let's let's hope they stay together because it would be it. It, it, if they don't, it could cause a, it could cause a little bit of havoc, right? God, Pete, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I hope you guys stay together too, man. Like, uh, yeah, they're a power couple. Brand, uh, uh, Brangeline, what they call them? Uh, yeah, uh, Tim thought it was brand, as in like cigar brand. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and, and he he was quick to correct him yeah. by saying it was like yeah. brad and and uh angelina, angelina. jolie leave yeah. it to potomac to, to yeah. mispronounce <laughs> bradgelina jesus christ <laughs> uh yeah that was uh that was uh pretty you know the other thing that that kind of caught me off guard about something that uh one of the things that pete said was um you guys talked about press releases for a little bit and they're obviously they're doing press releases now which i think is a good step in the right direction for tatawahe uh, instead of just putting it on social media and it's kind of first come first serve, it's let's put this out to the quote unquote cigar media, let them do it and then go from there. But he he kind of threw a little shade at our friends over at Half Wheel when he said that uh, you know you 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 get he's like I'm I'm surprised at how quick they get it out like it's milliseconds. We send it to him and then I read it and it's full of spelling errors and and inaccuracies. You know the the the, the funny thing about that is. You know, him and um, and uh, Charlie have been friendly, you know, I would say friends in the industry. I mean, I know Charlie, that was, if there is a fanboy, like you're a fanboy of certain brands, if Charlie's a fanboy of, I could tell you right now, his number one fanboy brand is Tatawahe, by far. So I know that Charlie thinks the world of Pete, 
and I'm sure Pete, you know, uh, sees him as a, a youngster that has really, you know, look, you know, say what you will at, at half wheel. They do an amazing job at what they do. They take it very seriously. They make money at it and they provide a service for this industry. I feel like that was a shot at me. Too. <laughs> yeah, I did too. <laughs> they make money at what they do. You don't do shit. You fuck. No, that's, you know, it's good to be able to have, at least some money to pay for uh, your equipment and things like that. But, you know, there's that fine line and we're working on it. I mean, (laughs) you know, let's not go there. You're killing me, Nick. You're killing me. New blood. Let's talk about new blood because you just mentioned, you know, uh, Charlie's uh, younger than than, than I, younger than you, Nick. Yes. He's Um, practically my son's age. (laughs) A couple years older. You know, how do I want to word this without upsetting Nick? And I don't think there's a way I you can, can without no, upsetting go ahead and upset me. So, okay. I, don't, I don't care. Okay. So when I think of when Pete came into the industry and reading uh, the articles and things from, from back in that era, when he came in, uh, he was part of the new blood, the new group of, uh, of these tattooed hellions that came into the industry, shook things up. Uh, and have obviously stuck around and, and, and I think in many ways changed the industry for the better. We just literally spent the last 50 minutes talking about and praising Pete for all of the things that he has done for the industry, that he is the goat. He has moved the ball forward. He has moved the goalpost, so to speak, and, and changed the industry uh, to what it is today, not the least of which is, uh, you know, boutique cigars are on the map, probably 98% because of everything that he has done at Tatawahe and in L'Atelier and all of the things that he has done. Who I wanted to know who he thought the new blood was, because when I think of new blood, I think of guys like Brian Desen, who runs Pravada uh, Cigar Club, which you can go watch that episode on YouTube or listen to it. Simply stokers.com or wherever podcasts are sold. They're not sold. FYI. Um, <laughs> clearly not sold. Clearly. Clearly. Sold. Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, but, you know, that guy has come in and he has shaken the industry up and kind of turned it on, it, uh, turned it on its head for what he does. Um, but I know from what Brian said, Pete doesn't like Brian. And Brian's not really 100% sure why, although I'm fairly confident he probably knows why. Who I, w- I would have liked to know what Pete thinks of who some of the new guys, some of the up and comers are in the industry that he thinks in 20 years, they'll be putting out a 20 year cigar and we'll be having them on the podcast when I'm fucking 67 years old and going, ah, Sonny, I remember when your cigar first came out. Like, uh, who do you think, Nick? <laughs> Shut up, Tim. Who do you think? Who do you think that those guys are? Um, no, oh, there's so many, some that have been around. I think he would say people like Nick Melillo because he's still, you know, younger than most, but he's been around since he was a teenager in the industry. Um, you know, Skip at uh, Roma Craft, you know, he's got a unique model of how he does things and he's got a great following as well. And again, you know, been around for a while and will continue to be around. Um, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I think he would have been diplomatic in his answer about Brian at Pravada, but you're well, right. I wouldn't There's... have asked him about Brian. We've talked about, I'm not that show. We're not investigative journalists. We're not a gotcha show. I don't want the fucking tea as the kids call it. I don't <laughs> want the dirt. I don't care. I don't care about beefs within the industry or, or, or political maneuverings of anybody. I don't give a shit. I really don't. And that's not, if you're watching this show, hoping that one day that's what happens, you should probably stop watching because it's never going to happen. I just don't care. But I would have wanted to ask him more along the lines of what I asked you. Like, who are those guys? Who are, you came in, you turned the industry on its ear. Who's doing that now? Like, who are the movers and shakers that you see have a shot at in 20 years being you and being the face of the CRA and, and, you know, executive producing movies and, and really changing the industry for the better. Well, I think people that are in Pete's unique position that have made it, you know, really set such a foundation 
and have the financial backing self, you know, self-induced, of course, uh, to be able to put some of his hard-earned money to use to help others, which he clearly has done in this industry with his time and his money. Uh, you know, there's, there's not many that can do that or are willing to do that. Uh, and there's people that have more money than Pete in this industry that are in way less position, you know, on the, on the scale or on the journey of where they are. And they're not doing that. You know, they're trying to promote themselves. And I get that as well. And he talked about that when talking about the CRA and talking about the people who donate and the people who don't. And obviously, you know, we're not going to call anybody out on this show, but I think that's something that in the past few years, there's been a lot of public beefs between some folks in the industry about not giving their fair share. Like he talked about, and I don't like that term fair share. Uh, I like the term equitable. Things have to be equal. Like, I don't think a company that makes, you know, a hundred million dollars a year should give the same as a company that makes 5 million a year. It needs to be equitable. So maybe that's a percentage. I maybe believe, that's a whatever. I believe he alluded to that. You know, as you uh, are able to produce an extra million cigars, you could probably afford to put a little bit more in. Yeah. No, I I don't think that he didn't. Uh, I I just don't like the. Personally, I don't like the the, the fair share thing. Sure. That's a that's a the, a political term that I think gets thrown around a lot that I don't like. Uh, equitable, I think, is is much more of a reasonable term. But that's just me. That's just me. But overall, guys, I thought the interview went very well. You guys did a great job. Uh, Nick, uh, I'm proud of you, buddy. You, you, like, this isn't oh, your first shucks. rodeo. You've oh, done this shucks. before. This does yeah. well, not mean <laughs> that you can take more vacations or sick days say, or anything I'm, I'm, like uh, that. I'm planning a trip well, right now. Well, you know what? Now. I never expected to do that. I never had the intent on doing that, but you know, I stepped up when we had to, I mean, you basically said you got to do it. And what was I going to say? No, I can't. No, I won't. You know, it's like, so everybody knows. So just so like, I was very upset that I missed this because I do like Pete. I think Pete's a great dude. He's, he's one of the real ones. One of the good ones in the industry Uh, has a wealth of knowledge. He, he is respectful of the history uh, and pays homage to the history. Like we talked about, um, every day. Uh, so I was upset that I couldn't be there. It was a scheduling conflict. Uh, and, and that was kind of just a, a thing that happened that that's when he was available. And that just happened to be the day I was literally on the road traveling. Cause I don't fly. I drive fuck flying. I, it's not that I, I don't have a fear of crashing. I just have, I like the illusion of control. Uh, so I drive pretty much everywhere if I can help it. And, uh, I was on a 12 hour road trip to, uh, Denver. Uh, but, uh, so I did kind of spring it on you. You were like, Hey, it's going to be, uh, this Thursday. I'm like, dude, I'm traveling. And you're like, Oh man, we like, this was the day he could do it. I'm like, well, you do it. And Nick was like, okay, I guess if I have to. And I'm like, well, have Tim come along with you and he can kind of help you out. And, Tim's and, like, what? I, and I didn't really didn't want him as you, as you could tell, but I yeah. didn't, nobody wants Tim here. I don't know why. You're even <laughs> here, Tim. why? But, I'm done you know, guys. I'm done. I, I was like, all right, you know, if you're going to throw me out, all right, if I got to take him, all right, I guess I'll take him. But you know. Nick is like, you stuck me with him for the entire PCA trade show. Now you're doing this. <laughs> why do you hate me so much? No, dude, you you did more than your more than was asked of you at the at the PCA. You worked tirelessly behind the scenes, the camera work, the editing, the stress level. I mean, we had the easy part. We went in and did the interviews, and as much as you know, there was sixty plus interviews. There is more work to be done that uh, you know people get to see behind. You know, if they could see behind the. The curtain, you know, you did it, man. So I, I yeah. definitely 100%. want people ne- next time to know I'll, uh, that you did. Yeah, next time I'll turn the GoPro around so they can see me just sweating my ass off trying to <laughs> get Nick to the next interview. Let's hey, go. I, I was very fortunate to have you there. You know, I'm, I'm glad. I, you know, nothing against uh, against Randy that was uh, partnered up with. Uh, 
with James, but I, uh, yeah, I had I, the shit into this. Well, stick. you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love Randy, but I so much, you know, preferred to have Tim and I didn't get to make that selection, which is even better. I would, I would have taken anybody, but I'm glad I had Tim. Yeah, no, for sure. You should, Tim, that's why we changed his title on the website to uh, executive producer because he does uh, a lot of the stuff behind the scenes. But it was nice to see you in front of the camera. I feel like an executive producer should get uh, paid. Uh, Yeah, you don't. Um, You stepped in front of the camera uh, and out of your comfort zone, just like Pete did. So I appreciate that. But it was a really great interview, guys. Thank you so much for doing it. I promise, guys. uh, Next, next uh, CTA. Uh, it'll be back to Tim hosting it. You won't have to, uh, well, you'll still have to listen to me, but at least I'm not hosting it. It'll be, things will be back to normal as uh, we talk about Jose Blanco behind his back uh, and the interview that Nick and I did with him, which was a great interview. We alluded to it uh, a lot on the last CTA. I think we didn't allude to it nearly as much on this one, uh, but it was a, it was a great interview. I'm looking forward to you guys seeing that next week. And then the CTA to follow after that. Then uh, November 1st, Nick Melillo on the show. I'm uh, looking forward to that as well. And then to clear the air to follow, obviously, uh, the week after. And then, of course, don't forget After Dark. Simply Stogie's After Dark. It is our first live show that we'll be doing on YouTube and Facebook simulcast. Uh, that's a fancy fucking word. Um, if you are, a if you are a, a, a LE club member, you're, you're supporting us. Thank you so much. This is our way to give back. You can join us live every Friday time to be determined for a couple hours, smoke a couple cigars, have some conversation live. Uh, we'll stream it out for everybody to, uh, to kind of see if you want to join the LE club, go to simply Click LE club at the top. And then join $10 a month, $100 a year. You too can jump on our herf with us live every Friday uh, for Simply Stogie's After Dark. Um, sometimes I'll be there with Tim. Sometimes Nick will be there with me. Sometimes Nick will be there with Tim. And sometimes maybe it'll just be Tim. And, he can, <laughs> and you guys you guys can give him words to mispronounce. Just write them out. That, like that actually should be a game that we play here on Clear the Air. Brangelina. Brangelina. Fucking <laughs> Potomac. Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> On that terrible disappointment, that's Nick Cirrus somewhere. I don't know where. We're using new software. That's Nick. That's Tim somewhere. I don't know. I'm James. Until next time, stay smoky, friends. Mm-hmm.